my prayer is we would all truly, truly make you our cornerstone, our foundation. Still, I pray that your Holy Spirit would, would press through some of our, our thoughts uh, and doubts uh, and things that are holding us back. And we want to make our foundation uh, our marriage or our social clubs or our status or our wealth or our desire for wealth or our political office or our careers or the guy or the other we're dating or the guy or the other we want to date all of these things we replace where you need to be and my prayer today for all of us is that we wouldn't just get closer we'd be there we'd say Jesus you are my rock you are my redeemer you are the foundation of my life and I don't know where you'll take me. I know you want to use me. So I do surrender. I pray for these your people. I pray for the things that are heavy on their hearts. And I'm thankful that they are here today to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all. Be seated. And uh, if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew 5. If you don't have a Bible, there's a stack on the table. And you are welcome to take one of those home. Uh, give out Bibles. We are going to read Matthew 5, verses 1 through 6 today. And we're doing a series called God Blessing. And we're doing this because all of us want to be blessed. And we're going to ask the question, you know, what are the blessings that God can give? Do you feel blessed? Do you feel like you have God's blessing? Do you know what God's blessings are? And this series actually directly ties, I mean, all sermons tie into this one, really directly ties into what we know of as salvation, uh, or being saved. And as in, are you really saved, or are you truly saved? And I think many of us can grow up, and you know, it's like we got the shot arm, we have to walk down the aisle, we raise the hand, or we have the moment where I, I got the fire insurance. But this series is about how we can live a saved life, or what I'm going to talk about in a minute, how we live as citizens in the kingdom of God. Before I get into that, let's read the scripture of Matthew 5, verse 1 through 6. It says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, as we talked about last week, these are not four different types of people, persons. This is one type of person with different traits. And I want to kind of review from last week because uh, it, it may help you see kind of trajectory of this series. And last week we started, and I hate to say this, but you, you kind of have to start with a bad or, you know, I'd use the word negative. You kind of start, it's just like taking the medicine at the beginning of hurts. And these first couple verses, if you really think about it, I mean, they're not like fun, hunky-dory, you know, rah-rah. We can get to that, but it starts off kind of and so we talked about this last week. First off, poor in spirit. 
So, you know, we begin life, I'm looking at our kids down here earlier in the service, and, you know, we begin life, and we grow up, even as teenagers and getting into college, and we're really taught, and we believe that life is manageable, and, and if you're careful, and if you make the right choices, life will be good, and, and life can be really good if you work hard. Thing is, we grow up, and we see not only is life uh, truly not manageable, Sometimes life is not even comprehensible. Sometimes we feel like life is not even sustainable. And I don't know if y'all are tracking with me, but when we hit things like brokenness in relationships and you know in friendships and, and bridges being burned, or you know, we, we struggle with divorce or thinking about divorce, or you know, we see greed or we see you know lust or we see envy or we see pride manifested. They're like, what is going on here? And this isn't even like you know, global conflict or wars. It's like interpersonal relationships. It was a death. We're like, we've got to deal with the death. And so last week we talked about that there is this problem in us that is beyond us. Like, like we can't, we can't handle, we can't deal with. We really can't. We're just trying to make our way through. Then we talked about mourning. Let's those who mourn. And not only is the problem beyond us, but we have to see that the problem is us. The problem is sin in us. I used a quote by G.K. Chesterton, who his writings influenced C.S. Lewis uh, back in the early 20th century. He's a very prolific, famous writer, and he lived in London, and the newspaper asked this question, kind of having fun, but the question was, what is the problem of the universe? And here's this great writer, and he just wrote a simple sentence response. Said the problem with the universe is me. And he was a Christian, devout Christian. We kind of have to see that there's a problem beyond us, and it's a sin uh, that is in us. And then we went to the me, because when you get there, you really have one of two responses. The first one is you can be sad uh, and bitter and angry. I mean, you can be, you can be angry like me for like, preaching that. You know, sad, bitter, angry. Or you can <coughs> humbly, what we talked about, repent it. And say, I need you, God. I need you in my life. I need you to save me, to rescue me, and turn to God, turn to Jesus. Now, let me stop there. Uh, that, that's easier said than done. And if anybody heard that, if anybody heard that preach, uh, you've heard that, heard that here, you've probably heard that Sunday school. But turn to what? Okay, turn to God. Well, that's kind of nebulous. Turn to what? Jesus? Turn to the church? I mean, i got to come to church. I, I pull myself together. I, all of a sudden, I, you know, well, I'm just going to start going to church because, you know, you know, I'm a whole, what does that mean, turn to Jesus? That's what we're going to talk about today. And that's where we get to this verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. And this, this verse, verse 6, is literally like the linchpin of what we call the Beatitudes, which are these, these eight verses. And really the linchpin and the key, to be honest, for all of life itself. And, and, and I know some of y'all didn't know y'all were walking in here today and like, I'll get the answer to life. And you may be like, that, that's, that's a load, man, this is the answer to life. This, this verse is really the key. It is the key to life. And, and it is talking about, again, how we live as full citizens of the kingdom of heaven and how we are fully saved. John 3.3, 3, a verse I used last week. 
John 3, 3. Jesus says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So to be saved and be born again is you live in the kingdom of God. Some of you are like, what is the kingdom? Because I'm certainly not seeing it and I thought I was saved. So what is this kingdom deal? Well, another way to look at that is another quote. Joe Lubeck wrote, I got another one. I see Joe walking back and he's he's mad at me. Y'all like what are you talking about? Another quote is a guy named C.S. Lewis, I mentioned earlier. He said, aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in. Aim for earth and you get neither. And that is part of what living in the kingdom is about. It's what being saved is about. And it is what this verse, verse 6, is about. As the key that you are hungering for a righteousness. that get this, this is very important. That we don't have in us. We don't have it. It's like outside of us. It is, it is been given to us. We, we can't get it. The only way we get it is to receive it. It's a gift. But it is outside us. It's nothing that comes in us. There was a, uh, there was a Saturday Night Live skit. I had this bad habit of watching Saturday Night Live. Uh, my wife was trying to cure me of it. She almost had it. But a back, this was back, I think, in the 80s. This was a long while ago. The guy named Al Franken, who happens to now be a United States senator, so that's a whole other story. But in the skit, y'all are attracted. Anyway, in the skit, he's looking at a mirror, and he says, "You know, I, I'm good enough. Uh, I'm smart enough. You know, and by darn, you know, people like me. I, I, don't, I don't know why it was really funny, but the way he said it, he would do this skit, and a lot of us get up and look in the mirror every day, and, and a lot of times we'll say that we'll say, you know, I'm good looking." Or, you know, I'm smart enough. Or, I mean, we really kind of consciously in our minds will say that. What we need to get up every day and say, look in the mirror, we need to look in the mirror and say, I have a, a righteousness that is not my own, that has been given to me. And therefore, I am accepted. Therefore, I am approved. We really need to do this. And, and honestly, if you don't do that, uh, you're not living, you're not living. On how, how you could. You're not living in the kingdom. And I, I would kind of argue whether you were really saved or not. Honestly. Because when you're really saved, I mean truly saved, then it is all about what Jesus has done and nothing about what you have done. And so if you've never heard Christianity this way, today or this series, then I really want us to think about whether you are living in the kingdom. And I want you to enter into it. I'd love you to enter into it today. And you have an opportunity to do it. So let me break this one verse down. That's what we're just going to spend time on this one verse. Verse 6, okay? What it says. First says hunger. It says hunger. Now, uh, thankfully, I think most of us have never experienced physical hunger. Uh, if you go to this Honduras, or if you go to this India, or if you go to other places, uh, in the third world, or two-thirds world, it's called, uh, you'll see literal hunger, and it breaks your heart. Uh, you'll see you know, little boys and girls that uh, you know, don't know what they're going to eat. But we don't really struggle for physical hunger. We do hunger for something else, though. And we hunger for approval. We hunger to be all right. To be all right uh, with people. To be all right uh, with our employer, maybe. to be all right with a certain crowd, to be all right with our spouse. We need five uh, life situations from youth to adult. First, 
taking an exam. Some of you students, y'all got exams coming up. Second, getting into college. Some of you are seniors and you know, you're looking at getting into college or you've gotten into college, you know how that feels. Uh, third, going out on a date. Uh, some of you, maybe students, some of y'all uh, got married, you know, going out on a date, going out on dates. The other one would be a job interview. And then the last, let's say, running for political office, whether you're you know, like in high school or in the higher echelons of government. All of those have the same thing in common in that you're waiting for a verdict to be liked or approved or have the right stuff. And with an exam, you're like, well, am I going to pass or am I going to fail? With a job, you're going to pass and get in or am I going to fail? With a date, hey, I'm going to pass and you know, she or he is going to like me or am I going to fail? Am I going to have what it takes? Am I going to have the right stuff? Even running for office, hey, the voters going to like me, vote for me, or reject me. And there's this verdict that we are waiting on to be approved or not, to pass or to fail, to have what it takes, to have the right stuff, or to not have it. All of us have these situations. And, you know, really, they're, they're like two types of, everybody falls into two, two types of people in life. One is they're explicitly have a low self-esteem. And I mean, you can just see these folks, you know, you know they just feel down on themselves, they don't believe in themselves, all that. And the other one is they may look like they do, or, or maybe they just, you know, maybe not too high or too low, but they look together, but underneath, and this is the we, this is us, underneath, they're like, well, if they really saw me at my worst, if they really saw what I did, if my thoughts, you know, were showing up on the screen, or nobody would see it, and no one would approve, or no one would like me, and I certainly do not have the right stuff. Romans 3, 10 through 11. It says, as it's written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. I pray about this being of the sermon that how Christ should be our cornerstone. We make all these other things our cornerstone. And there is this deal in us where we don't have this rightness. We're not all right. We have this thing called sin. We we can't pull ourselves together. We don't have what it takes by life. Now you may say, oh, great talk. You know, beautiful day, I should have gone to play golf. You know, you're telling me I don't have what it takes. Uh, you're telling me that, uh, you know, there's this bad stuff in me that, that I don't have it, and that, you know, it's almost like God, what is, you know, I'm guilty. God, God is angry at me because none is righteous. Yeah. God's angry at me. Yes, we don't have what it takes. Yes, we have this guilt that is weighing us. However, you don't want to stop there. And then you're like, well, this is kind of old-fashioned. If there's an angry God, there's an angry God. Yes, God is angry at us. But I'd ask you this. Have you ever loved an addicted person? Maybe that's a spouse. Maybe that's a sibling. Maybe that's a son or daughter. Have you ever loved someone who's addicted? I have, okay? So a quick story of personal life. My brother was addicted to drugs for many years. I was in seminary, but now we're actually dating at that time. She'd come home a couple times, be family. I remember seeing my brother, he was like wasted. You know, up all night, I crashed for like 12 hours at a time. I love my brother, and he's not on drugs anymore, and he actually wants to be a preacher. 
were worried that he's a big hunter and that he would take his gun, you know, and kill himself, you know, in a deer stand because his life was going down the toilet and he was on all these drugs. And some of this, y'all may be tracking with me up because you know the story of people who live with addiction and didn't get into that. Y'all are tracking with me. You love them. There's this anger. See, the opposite of love is not anger. The opposite of love is I don't care. You know, see the difference. So just think about God, okay? Who has crater, wider, awesome, awe-inspiring, all of this. And then he sees, you know, the stuff that you deal with, you go through. And so his love is so great for us. And that's where that fear comes from. Okay? Do this. You know, I'm going to shake you. And so you got to get to the point where your hunger is righteous. See, I don't have what it takes in me, but God's Word and Jesus and God Himself promises to give us a righteous, which is literally what righteousness means. Righteous, right standing, approval with God. And He adopts us as His sons. Daughter, and that's being saved. Saying, I'll have what it takes. God, give me this outer righteousness. And it means waking up every day and looking in the mirror and say, I have this righteousness, this rightness that is not alone that God has given me. In Jesus Christ, by Jesus Christ, I can live in that. But let's continue on the verse. For righteousness, let's, I'm going to show y'all what this means. This is like really key, really key. For righteousness. What does it mean? The reason I say it's key is I'm about to go. Uh, Greek on y'all, and so, so I say that to you, so y'all won't like, you know, just totally track off right now, but the New Testament is written in Greek, and the Greek word of this righteousness, okay, stay with me, it's really important. The Greek has different tenses, okay, and one is called genitive, and one is accusative, okay, stay with me, it's very interesting, but it is really important. The genitive word of righteousness would mean of or some, like of some righteousness, I, I want some of it. Uh, the accusative would mean all of it. I want it fully, totally, completely, all of it. Well, this word righteousness is written in the accusative, which means full righteousness. And you're like, you know, where is this going? Here's where it's going. It says, bless those who seek the full righteousness, and not just some, because where we get into a trap, uh, sometimes as religious people, sometimes maybe as Christians, and we just want some of the righteousness. Here's what I mean. There's a difference between a religious person and a Christian. There's a difference between a moral person and a Christian. Here's what it is. A religious person will sin. A religious person will go to church. A religious person will maybe come to the altar and say, forgive me, Lord, for where I've been bad. Forgive me for these bad things I've done. A Christian person We'll go to church. A Christian person will come down the aisle and take communion. A Christian person will repent. A Christian person will say, forgive me, Lord, for these bad things that I've done. A religious person but then will say, but, but look at what? I mean, look at how good I am. Uh, look at how I'm a deacon in church. Uh, look at how you know, I've, I've done this mission or led this group. And, and you can't you, can't you just pour yourself together? Can't you just get it together? We're a Christian person, and this is the difference. A Christian person repents of how they're trying to be good. A Christian person repents of 
good works that they do. A Christian person repents of, Lord, forgive me for trying to rely on how good I am, how good I look, or doing the right thing, or doing good work. Forgive me for not fully relying on Jesus. That is the difference. That is, and that's why a lot of times I'll say, you know, are you truly saved, or are you really just relying on your niceness, or how much good stuff you've done? Or how good you look, or, or how esteemed you are in the community. Or are you saying fully, that's the difference, the full righteousness. Are you saying, I have to fully rely on you, Jesus, on what you've done and what you will give me, because on the cross you saw me at my worst and said, It's okay. I love you. I'm there for you. I want to give you my rightness, my right living. Trust in me. And so therefore, when you go to a job interview and you don't get it, you know you already have Jesus' approval. Therefore, when you go on a date and you go on a second date, you already have God's approval. Therefore, you can walk and not be shy, but also not brag. Therefore, you will never be too high or too low, because you have this serene confidence that God accepted you in Jesus. He's poured out his love on you, and you fully trust in him, not on anything that we do, but all of you. Let me give you a story to kind of connect the dots here. There was a lady who was a leader of the church. Not this church, I'm not talking about this. Uh, actually, this is from a book. We, we uh, sold this book, if you want to copy it. written by a lady named Becky Pippard. Uh, the book's called Hope Has Its Reasons. But she talks about, she was speaking somewhere, and she talks about a lady who came up and said, Now I really need your advice, your message spoke to me, but here's my problem. She said, I'm a leader of my church. I don't know, deacon, you know. But I'm looked at as this leader of my church. And then I started dating a guy in the church who was also a leader in the church. And we fell in love, and then we got married. And we're going to have this big celebration at our church because we had met there, and we were leaders there, and we were serving there, and we were doing great, and we were just wonderful Christian people. And then I got pregnant. And I got pregnant before the wedding. And I would be showing before the wedding. And it was going to happen in our church where we were leaders. And she said, so I had an abortion. Because people's opinions and thinking of me on how good I was and nice I was and Christian I was was more important. And I could not deal with the shame walking down the aisle in my church seeing me. And she says, I've laid this at the altar over and over again. I've laid this at the cross over and over again. I know conceptually God's forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. Go ahead, do. And so she writes in this book, and again, Becky Pippard, Hope Has Its Reasons. She said, you know, you know, I empathize with you, and she prayed with her, and loved on her. She said, if I can help you, I would say this. You know, we don't realize as Christians that we've done something far worse than anything we do, like in the here and now. We don't really get it that we nailed Jesus to the cross. We don't really get that we all carry the nails in our own hands. You know what I mean? Talk about, look, read Acts 2. Peter's saying, you know, y'all put him on the cross. He wasn't just talking about the guards and people. He's like, you know, we all, Peter's talking himself too. We nailed him to the cross. He died for our sins. He took on our sins. That's what it means. Like, he 
He did that for he did that because of us. So we've done something far worse than, than anything that we would do in this life. We put the Son of God on the cross. And it was on the cross when he looked at us and said, I love you, love you. More than you can imagine. That you're not worthy. Is the only exception. So think about that with the people like dealing with, you know, sin today, even something, you know, significant. What this life had to go through. And she said, you know, I really get it. I really get it about grace. And that what he's already told me, you know, it's okay. It is for me. And that's what we talk about and trust on what Jesus did and his love for us on the so whatever you've done, I, mean, I, I know this all the time. You know, people come like they repent of the bad stuff, and they tell me, "I really can't forgive myself." You know, you're forgiven. You have the only approval that that will ever matter in this world of world comes, and you can rest in that. You have to not be cocky about it. You won't have a serene confidence that Jesus did pay it all. So I want you to walk out here today. I want you to be satisfied. That's the end of this verse. You have this righteousness. You can be satisfied. See, when you realize, as this young lady did, she's like, you know, Jesus has already given me his forgiveness. He's already seen you at your worst and said, I love you. When you receive it, you can be fully satisfied. But it takes a choice. And this is key. It takes a choice to receive it. A wonderful, another kind of illustration story. This is fictional, but it's very, very Christian. I, don't know, I love play, play this. I don't know if y'all have seen it or not, seen the movie. Great play, I use illustration. But it's very Christian because at the end, there's this one guy named Javer, Javer, and he's this cop, and he is trying to uh, take this guy out named John, uh, John, who's done a lot of bad, and he never can catch him, and then when he does catch him, John Bell John actually has an opportunity to kill Javert, and John Bell John forgives him. Forgives him for always trying to arrest him, always seeking his life, going in jail. He forgives Javert. And John Bell John has an opportunity to kill Javert and says, No, I'm not forgive you. I'm letting you go. And Javert can't take that. Because he's like, man, I, I can't allow, understand that someone has forgiven me because he loses control. He no longer has control of his life. And he actually takes his own life. And see, what happens when I say, you've got to receive it. When you say, no, there's nothing in me that can save me, but Jesus already has. When you say, you know, Jesus already seen me at my worst on the cross and loves me. And so there's nothing I can do that will save myself. That means you lose control. That means we give up control. And a lot of people can't take that. It's what we mean. We say, you know, all to Jesus, I surrender. All to thee, I freely give. I will ever love and trust thee. In his presence, day of the I surrender all. We give up control. And some of us, you know, we can't take that. So we just want to keep on living and controlling and basing our Christianity on how nice we are. And basing our Christianity on how good we are. Or what we are. Instead of what Jesus has done. 
want you to be satisfied. And if you base your Christianity or your salvation on your niceness, you base your Christianity on how esteemed you are in the community, or you base your Christianity on how God has blessed you in earthly ways, or if you base your Christianity on your marriage, or if you base your Christianity on you know, the mission trip you went on the group you're leaving, that's not living in the kingdom. That's not salvation. Salvation is giving up control and saying, Jesus, you paid it all. I don't know where you're going to take me, but I'm going to trust you. I'm surrendering you. And I know you'll show me the way through your word, through your church, through people who love me. I'll be, I'm going to surrender. And I'm going to be satisfied. I want you to be satisfied. You'll be satisfied one day. I'll be sitting with you instead. That's right. Heavenly Father, I just pray for brothers and sisters who are truly reliant on their righteousness for salvation, who are truly reliant on good works for salvation. And I pray that we would really see that you have seen us on the cross at our worst and said, man, great. You're my child. Come to me. And that we would receive your grace. We would receive your promise. We would receive your love. We would face our life and surrender our life. And I give you Jesus. And we would be saved. We want to fully be I pray for these people. Pray for our church to experience life full salvation and forgiveness and resurrection. In Jesus' name.